Yeah, and, and daggers, especially the boys. They all want, yeah, yeah, it's cute. They are just adorable. I love them. Um, I have a story about a teacup. And there was a couple who used to go to England to shop in all the beautiful stores. I have never been there. Well, I flew through there, so that really doesn't count. I didn't get to stop. I saw the airport. But um, I would imagine that they do have beautiful stores. And this was their 25th wedding anniversary, and they both liked antiques and pottery, especially teacups. And they said, may we see that teacup? We've never seen one quite so beautiful. And as the lady handed it to them, suddenly the teacup spoke. You don't understand, it said. I have not always been a teacup. There was a time when I was red clay. My master took me and rolled me and patted me over and over, and I yelled out, leave me alone. But he only smiled, not yet. Then I was placed on a spinning wheel, and suddenly I was spun around and around and around. Stop it, I'm getting dizzy, I screamed. But the master only nodded and said, not yet. Then he put me in the oven. I never felt such heat. I yelled and knocked on the door. I could see him through the opening, and I could read his lips as he shook his head, saying, Not yet. Finally, the door opened, and he put me on the shelf, and I began to cool. And he brushed and painted me all over. The fumes were horrible. I thought I would gag. Stop it, stop it, I cried. He only nodded, Not yet. Then suddenly he put me back in the oven. Not like the first one. This was twice as hot, and I knew I would suffocate. I begged, I pleaded, I screamed, I cried. I would never make it. I was ready to give up. But the door opened, and he took me out and placed me on the shelf. An hour later, he handed me a mirror and said, Look at yourself. And I did. I said, That's not me. That couldn't be me. It's beautiful. I'm beautiful. I want you to remember then, he said. I know it hurts to be rolled and patted, but if I had left you alone, you would have dried up. I know it made you dizzy to spin around and around on the wheel, but if I had stopped, you would have crumbled. I know it hurts, and it was hot and disagreeable in the oven, but if I hadn't put you there, you would have cracked. I know the fumes were bad and when I brushed and painted you all over, but if I hadn't done that, you never would have hardened. You would not have had any color in your life, and if I hadn't put you back in the oven the second time, you wouldn't survive for long because the hardness would not have held. Now you are a finished product. You are what I had in mind when I first began with you. God knows what he is doing in all of us. He is the potter. We are the clay. He will mold us and make us so that we may be made into a flawless piece of work to fulfill his good and pleasing and perfect will. Amen. I love that. And that goes right into our study in James. There's a lot in James. When I told Jeff I'm speaking the, on the whole chapter of James, the whole first chapter, he says, are you kidding me? That would take months. And I'm going, yeah, tell me about it. That's like, okay, so this is obviously, unless I want to spend hours and hours and keep you here, um, this is just an overview of James. And uh, for the sake of time, we will, I will read the scripture, but I'm not going to read all of it at the beginning, and we'll just take it verse by verse. And there is so much in James to gleam. It is a very practical book. It is a book that 
Um, we should read on a regular basis to keep us on the straight and narrow, as my friend Robin said earlier. She says she likes to read it every six months, and it keeps her focused, and it is a great book. So I would encourage you to refer to it upon occasion. And before, uh, before we pray, if you need a study or you need a binder, I have them here. So make sure you come up and check with me after the study. And I'll hook you up with a group and, and a study, all right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much in your book of James that, Lord, we could spend months on it. But we just ask right now that everything that you want to have said to us, that you just speak through me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that we may uh, learn everything that you have in this book that we need today. So we just give you this time, ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now you have to remember back in these days, the church was be, being very, very much, muchly persecuted. And James was right along with them. He was feeling, um, he felt their pain. And so he knew what he was talking about. And he was actually eventually martyred for his work in, in the church. And so they faced the same trials that we face today. Um, I have a tendency to think that they probably have maybe a little bit rougher because, you know, quite frankly, we're not killed for our faith today. But you know what? We still have a lot of trials that we do have to face. Uh, face. We, we have, you know, financial troubles. We have health troubles. We have children troubles. You know, we have all sorts of troubles. And so these are tests. And tests are basically tribulations, which is sorrow, suffering, misery upon occasion. We have trials, and those are hardship that tries our endurance. And we, we uh, go through temptations, which is um, somebody trying to persuade or our own flesh trying to persuade us to do things that we know are against God's law. And then all of this is kind of that purification process. It's kind of like uh, smelting. If you know anything about um, ironwork or jewelry making, when I was in high school, one of my, I majored in crafts. <laughs> Imagine that. Loved it. I loved crafts. And my favorite thing to do was casting of jewelry. And what I would do is I would make a little uh, wax mold of something. You know, oftentimes I would make a ring or a necklace, a pendant, something like that. And then um, once you made that wax model, you would put it inside um, some plaster and then let the plaster harden. And then you heat up the wax. You, you throw it in the oven and the wax all pours out this little stem that you've made. And then you have your mold. And then the next step was I would put this in a, basically it was just a, a metal uh, drum, I guess, yeah, and it had this little thing that spun around. I mean, we were very mechanical back in the cave days. And so you would have to wind it and wind it and wind it until it was really, really tight. And then, once you know, and you have to put a pin in it. And once um, that was done, then I would put my silver into this little tiny um, holder, and I would heat it up and heat it up. And all the impurities would float to the top. And it would have, I mean, you would think it looked, when I was holding it in my hand, these beautiful silver beads that, I mean, I'm thinking there can't be any impurities in that, but I was surprised at how much would float to the top. 
And then we had this like a piece of carbon that I would scrape over the top. And then I would heat it up more and more, scrape off more impurities off the top. And then I would do this for like 15 minutes until there were no more impurities that would float to the top. All I saw was just beautiful glistening um, silver. Then I'd pull the pin, and that thing would spin around and shoot the silver into my little cast. And then I would put it in cold water, and then what would come out would be a real pretty piece of jewelry once I polished it up and everything and smoothed it out. So I really understood this analogy of heating up so that those impurities float through the top. Yeah, it can be painful at times, but you know what? That's how we get rid of all the extra baggage and junk that we have a tendency to carry. So, you know, it's the same reason why we have tests. When we're in school, when you have an examination, it's to find out exactly how much did you get out of the class. And so just look at your tests that way. There's a purpose for them. God doesn't put us through all of that, you know, like the teacup. He doesn't do do it because he's, he's mean. He does it because he knows that is how the work is accomplished in our lives. So he said, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James wants us to have a new perspective on how we view the trials in our lives. It's not just, how am I going to get through this? I have a tendency to do that. You know, it's like, okay, I'll just endure it. You know, just tell me when it's over and then I'll rejoice. You know, that's not the way he wants you to, to act. It's like... Lord, I know this is hard. And you don't have to say, oh, boy, I'm going through a trial. Oh, whoopee, whoopee. No, no, you don't have to do that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just understanding that God is doing something in our lives. And rejoice in the fact that when it's all over, you will be transformed further into the image of Christ. As hard as the trial may be, that is God's ultimate goal is for us to be like his son, Jesus. So we need to have a different perspective when we're going through those trials so that we will be complete, lacking nothing. We will be steadfast. Um, And our goal should be that we become like Jesus and that we have that patience that only God can give us, that we have the wisdom that only he can give us. And um, suffering equips us to do what God is calling us to do. But why does James call it, count it pure joy? Well, because those trials do perfect us. It's that heating process that makes the impurities float to the top. And then God's able to scrape them off. And then, you know what's really cool is that it's always done in stages. It's like I would heat up the the silver and impurities would float to the top. Scrape it off. You look beautiful for a while. And then it gets a little bit hotter scrape it off again, and so pretty soon, then you become that pure silver that's beautiful. We become stronger, we become wiser, and you become more patient. Um, I gained a lot of patience in going through some of the trials that I have gone through in my lifetime. Um, You know, the marital problems, the, uh, the sickness, you know, my son's, my son being sick, all those things actually made it so that I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. It's like, whatever, I'm fine with it. You know, I used to, you know, because I, I have a tendency to be a perfectionist, you know, if something didn't go just perfect, you know, I would, it would just throw me off. And if this wasn't healthy because it stressed me out, 
And so after going through the trials, it's like, it's no big deal, you know. I know Lord, the Lord's going to take care of it. And it's because I know exactly how bad it can get that I don't sweat the small stuff. And so that's how that patience has worked in my life. I mean, trust me, I haven't even come close to arriving. But um, each time I'm a little bit closer so that I know that I don't have to fear the trials. Yes, they were patient. But you know what? I can honestly say of all the major trials that I have gone through, I would do them again because I know the lesson that I learned was so beneficial for me. I think back at the person I was, such a shallow person. It was through the trials that has made me grow closer to the Lord to be able to use, be used by him. And so it could not have been accomplished had I not gone through those trials. So I know a lot of you ladies do fear trials. You know what? God is so gentle in them. He is so gentle. He always, I always knew he was right by my side through all of them. He would never let me go to the point where I would be broken. That is a promise. He will never break you. You might come close and you might be thinking, Lord, I can't take any more. You know, this is way too hot here. Just like the teacup. You know, are you kidding me? It's twice as hot as the last time I got fired. So he, he does heat it up, but he will always be right beside you. So never fear the trials. That's how you can rejoice in them and count them as joy. <clears throat> so he goes on to say in verse 5, says, Excuse me. I think it says verse 5. It's a real tiny 5, and I don't have my glasses on. So I think it's 5. <laughs> you know how the Bible always has a little tiny 5 on there. Anyway. <laughs> if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For not let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So if we lack wisdom in any situation, if you're going through a trial and you say, I don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you. He promises right here. But you can't waver. You have to believe him that he wants to give you that wisdom. We must believe God at his word. We can't be divided in our heart. We have to be committed 100%. Like, you know what? I'm going to try my way first. And then if that doesn't work, then I'm going to ask God for wisdom. That doesn't work. God says, come to me first. And trust me, you will save yourself a lot of grief if you come to him first. Um, but he says, you will be tossed like the wave of the sea. I was uh, just on a whim. I googled drifting in the sea when I was studying for this. And it said that a coconut can drift all the way from Asia to South America. Isn't that amazing? That is a lot of drifting. Look how far from home that coconut is. Okay, the lesson here is we also can drift that far. I mean, one minute you're on the, the Asian continent and the next time you're in South America, that is no fun. Because we're just drifting wherever the waves tell, you know, take us. And um, I love to, to snorkel in the ocean. Of course, it has to be warm water, so it has to be in Hawaii. So I don't get to do it very often. But, you know, it's amazing. If you just float out there with your head stuck in the water, you know, with the snorkel sticking out, it's amazing how far you can drift. 
because I just, I don't swim, I don't do anything. I just lay there and watch the fish, you know. So after a while, it's like, wow, I'm really far from shore. I'd better get back. So the idea is that if you're not purposely going in one direction, if you're not paddling towards the Lord, you're drifting. You naturally drift away. You won't stay still. You naturally drift away. So be careful about that, being tossed in the waves and doubting during the trials. So he continues on. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flower fails, and the beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Now, you've got to understand that the problem here in um, these times, and the people that James is talking to are very, very poor people, and they're struggling. They're being persecuted. Um, again, they're, they're having trouble making ends meet. And he's saying, don't be concerned with having anything in this life. Remember, we are heirs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Someday he will make it right. He will make sure that we have what we need in this lifetime. Remember, he says needs. He will, he will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Okay, that doesn't mean a new car or a big house. Those aren't needs. Uh, Brandon cracked me up the other day because, you know, he, he calls himself a poor college student. And uh, uh, truthfully, he does pretty good because he works at the camp. But he says, I is finding out, and I go, wow, this is really amazing. He says, I'm finding out the difference between needs and wants. And I'm thinking, if you can learn that at 19, praise the Lord. I'm going, whoo So he's learning. He's learning. I don't think he's quite there yet. But he, you know, he, he you know, still likes to go to the skate shop because he loves skateboarding and stuff. And so, you know, it's like, you need to stay away from that. That's a temptation. You know, so <laughs> oh, we'll learn about temptations in a minute. But um, there is a big difference between needs and wants. And God will supply all your needs. So don't worry. If you have nothing, someday you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And you'll have everything that you could possibly want or desire. And trust me, it's not going to be gold and diamonds and jewels and big houses and fast cars. It won't be. So don't be concerned because the problem with riches, and I um, love what 2 Timothy 6.9 says. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, when you have a lot of money, you worry about how you're going to keep it, especially in this economy, isn't it? It's like, gee, you know, what if I, uh, what if I lose my portfolio? You know, the stock market crashes again. You know, it's getting so, oh, well, crashed again. You know, that's the way we're looking at it. But we know that there's a lot of people who have put all their faith in their, in their money. And some of it has just completely disappeared. So what do you do? You need to depend on the Lord. He will supply all your needs. 
Continuing on to verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. There's a Jewish writing that says, uh, Blessed is the man who stands in his temptation, for there is no man whom God does not try. He tries the rich to see if they will open their hands to the poor. He tries the poor to see if they will receive affliction and not murmur. If therefore the rich stand in his temptation and give alms to the poor, he shall enjoy his riches in the world, and his horn shall be exalted to the world to come. And the holy blessed God shall deliver him from the punishment of hell. If the poor stands in his temptation and do not repine or kick back, he shall have double in the world to come. God will try you. The devil will tempt you. Don't you love that story when Jesus was tempted? So we kind of hit this in our study um, worksheets. Jesus always went to the word of God when he was tempted. We are all tempted. And we are tempted, of course, when we desire things that God says we are not to desire. Um, I have to think back one of my favorite shows was Sanford and Son. And you loved that show. Anyway, yeah, yeah, some people still remember it. But um, you remember he used to say, the devil made me do it? Yeah. No, the devil doesn't make you do anything. It's your own desires. He just, he just helps you along. I kind of look at it as fishing, you know. You throw that lure in the water and you tempt somebody, but they have to bite it. They have to bite it. The fish has to bite it. And so God, you know, says don't even look at the lure because it's just a trap. And so um, Satan loves to tempt you and then our own evil desires take hold. But devil can't make you do it. We have to resist and the, the devil and flee from him. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It says, don't deceive yourself. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it's in our study guide. It says, no temptation has taken you except such as come to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I love this verse. It's kind of, I have memorized it, and um, I refer to it often. (laughs) It's like, okay, Lord, where's my escape? I want my escape. And you know what? It's always there, but we have to be willing to hear what that escape is. Um, I've noticed in my own life that oftentimes I have chosen not to take that escape. Oh, I can go just a little bit further. You know, it's kind of like you know, that old saying where an alcoholic shouldn't go into a bar. Well, you know, look how it happens. First, they're, they're driving by it every day, and they're looking over, saying, oh, you know, Bob and Jim are at the bar. You know what? I should go say hi. No, no, I don't want to do that, you know, because that's too much of a temptation. Well, you drive by again. Oh, Bob and Jim are at the bar again. Oh, I really do want to just see how they're doing, you know, see how their family is. You know, it sounds good. Pretty soon, they stop, and they're standing outside the bar. 
and say, hey, Bob and Jim, how you doing? You know, I don't want to come in, but hey, how you doing? And then pretty soon you're walking into the bar. You know, it's gradual. That's how our, our minds work, you know. We're just pushing it just a little bit further and a little bit further. See, the escape was don't even look at the bar when you drive by. Don't see that Bob and Jim are at the bar. You know, and we can all apply this to different areas. I mean, we're not talking about just drinking. We're talking about every aspect of our lives. You know, we're tempted in so many ways. So look for that way out. Don't even go there. If you know that your mind goes a certain direction when you're put in certain situations, avoid it. What did Joseph do when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife? He ran. That is the best example. He didn't care that he left his coat. He ran. So, yeah, yeah, and that is a great example. We must do that. So, um, and then, of course, the rest of this verse is kind of self-explanatory. We all know that we are sinners and that we are easily tempted and drawn away um, by our own desires and wants. And then in the end, so much grief and sorrow can come of it. So beware. Continuing on, it says, Do not be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Don't you love that? The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of God that we might be kind of first fruits of his creation. So whatever is good is from God. Whatever is bad comes from man. That goes especially for wisdom. Uh, With God, there is consistency. He will be the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Always remember that. He does not change. And he will never go out. His light will always burn, burn brightly. You know, there's always talk of what happens if the sun goes out. You know, a lot of people fear this. Isn't it weird? What if the sun goes out? You know, it, it may have already gone out, and we just don't know it, and we're just waiting for the sun to go, and it'll be off like a light bulb. God's light will never go out. It's eternal. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Ouch. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, as I've gotten older, I've learned through trial and error to implement these verses. How many times have we caused ourselves so much grief because we won't stop and listen to really hear what the person is saying? We just immediately get mad and fight back. In fact, oftentimes, okay, I do this. Instead of listening to what the other person is saying, I'm already formulating what I'm going to say. So I am not even focused on what they're saying. They could be saying something really important, but I'm so busy saying, yeah, then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and you know, and I'm going to nail them, you know. Be quick to hear. Really, really listen to see what they are saying. And you know what? It could surprise you. Slow to speak. If you have to, slow to wrath. I mean, and slow to wrath. And if you have to, you take a deep breath. Have you ever ki- your kids push you to the limit of your, in- of your insanity? Of, of your sanity? You have to take... Yeah. Two seconds, yes, the two-second rule. Anyway, I have learned that, I tell you what, I will make a mistake if I respond immediately. If I take a deep breath and say, excuse me for a minute, and go somewhere else, calm down, come back, the situation will be a lot better than doing something that I regret later. 
So always be slow to wrath can really um, cause, uh, cause you a lot less grief in the long run. But always, it's always better to listen. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word. We are promised when we receive Christ to have the Holy Spirit in us. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he promises to guide you, instruct you, teach you. Not that we always listen. Sometimes we kind of resist, and that's very dangerous because after a while, he's not going to help you out if you just keep, you know, saying, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. He's just going to say, all righty, I'll give you what you asked for, and he will let you go. I mean, not that you're going to lose your salvation, but he will, won't have that impact in your life that you, had, that you once had. And so it's important that you listen to him. You know, because what will happen is if you stop listening to him, he's going to let you go through whatever you're asking for. And it could be going through a very, very dark time because you have resisted and you have rejected, in a sense, the teaching of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't allow that to happen. Um, because it's a very, very lonely place when you go there. It really is. Um, you find yourself getting caught up in the worldly things, and the next thing you know, you forgot that you even had Jesus as your Savior. And he will eventually bring you back, you know, but it's usually after much trials and tribulation. And then he says, you know what? You wanted that. I gave it to you. Are you ready to come back now? Yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't ever let me do that again. So just don't even let, you know, I, I, it just seems to be our human nature. If you ever read the story of the Israelites, you know, one minute they're doing what is right in, in the eyes of the Lord, and the next minute they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it's like back and forth and back and forth. Well, that's our human nature. We always have to fight against that, that human nature, that flesh, that wants to uh, draw us away from him. He says, but be doers of the word. See, there's the key. And not hearers only deceiving yourself. We have to read God's word to know what it says, and that will strengthen us. That will keep us from falling away. It says, for, anyone is, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the works this one will be blessed in what he does if we could only truly hear what the word of god is telling us we would save ourselves much grief James changes the picture and now compares the word to a mirror or glass. The word of God reveals what we truly are inside. But if we read it and we don't apply it to our lives, if we really don't hear what the word of God is saying, it's like looking at a mirror and saying, wow, you know, I really need to fix that. And then as soon as you walk away, you forget that, you know, you've got, you know, one hair sticking straight up or something. It's that way. You know, you just kind of forget. Have you ever done that? Um, you know, you, you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I forgot to put mascara on. And then, you, and then you get busy and then you look at yourself in the bathroom mirror at Target and you're going, oh, dear, I forgot to finish, you know. And so I've been hanging around downtown all day looking like this. Are you kidding me? 
So, see, but it's the same way. You know, sometimes we look at the mirror and we forget. We walk away and we forget, well, I really should fix that. But you know what? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Oh, what a terrible thing to be too busy. Or my favorite, the other day, you know, I've got one of those, uh, I have a makeup bag, and in my little makeup bag is one of those, uh, it's like a 15 times mirror, you know. And um, the other day I looked at it and I'm going, you know, I, I thought, wow, this this mirror is really dirty. And so, you know, I got a cloth and I cleaned it and then I looked at myself and went, oh my goodness, you know, maybe that wasn't a good idea. I think I'm going to stick some more powder on it to make it, you know, to make it not quite so clear because, you know, one of those magnifying mirrors, I mean, you can see everything, every little wrinkle, every little pimple, you know, every, everything. And so it's like, I think I liked it dim. Well, isn't that the way we are? It's like, I kind of like it you know, I don't know, reading the Bible, it just, you know, it's too revealing. I want to keep it dim because then I can deceive myself in thinking that I'm beautiful when, in fact, you know, you need a lot of work. And so, <laughs> all right, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. One of the hardest things to control is our mouth. I don't know why that is, but it, I mean, James will go through and tell all about taming the tongue and how we just make a mess of ourselves when we let our tongue go. And so we can just tear down so many people with our tongue by the things that we say. But it also describes um, our public life, our practice of the word, um, the Greek word for religious means outward practice of religion. Of course, we don't like to say we're, you know, we're not religious. We're, we have a relationship is what we like to say. But um, the Bible nowhere calls Christian faith as a religion. But we are to prove our faith by how we live. The example that we give when we're driving down the hill, when we're at Home Depot or wherever, you know, are you trying to beat somebody you know this is something i do i hate standing in the line in fact i did this just yesterday at sam's no sunday at sam's club you know i'm trying to find the shortest line anybody else do that you know and i'll be standing in this one and i'll go oh that one's shorter and then i'll dip over here well i saw that you know and this is how easily we can just be consumed by our petty petty things and so i'm standing in line and this person is you know of course there's a problem with the price check and i'm going oh can you believe it so i look over and this one over here is shorter i mean it's probably by seconds shorter right but you know it's still shorter so i'm about ready to move over there and i see this couple they're walking up to the line now i could have just cut them off and gone you know and for a moment i actually thought of it and I'm going, you know, I, I, you know, I'm in a hurry. I have many things to do. My life is important here, you know. And so, but then I was like, no, that's stupid. That's being petty, you know. And so I had to catch myself how easily we can fall into those things. And so, you know, the people just moved in. And you know what? My line went plenty fast enough. You know, I didn't have that many important things to do. But, you know, but that's just the way we think. That's how practicing what the Word of God says, practicing our religion comes into play. 
you know. Even if, I mean, they had no idea I was about ready to cut them off and ram their cart out, you know. It's just, <laughs> but, you know, the thought was there, you know, how quickly our sin nature takes over. My goodness. And it goes on to say, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, we don't have orphans and widows per se like they had. Back then, if they didn't have a man to take care of them, they were often destitute. They were very poor. They were homeless. I mean, it was a bad state if you didn't have a man to take care of you. And so the church was was charged with keeping an eye on the widows and making sure that they had everything that they needed. So today, you know, we can apply it to anybody who is going through great hardship and helping them out. And we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Oh, my goodness, is that hard. Just turn on the TV and, oop, there's a spot. Ah, you know, wipe that one off. But (laughs) it's tough. It's tough to keep ourselves unspotted. We have to be very selective of what we read, what we watch. I'm not, you know, saying that you can't have a television. I have a television. And, you know, there's many great things that you can watch. I love all sorts of things, you know, news and you, I mean, there are some real good quality shows on there. You have to be selective. So when you're, you know, going through the channels, you know, I have a, a guide that I go through first. So I'm never just hitting the button because you never know what you're going to see. And so I always go through my guide and say, no, no, just by the title you can tell. You know, Sex in the City. Nope, that one. You know, Desperate Halfway. Nope, I don't want to watch that one. And so, and then I go, okay. Oh, National Geographic Channel. It's about lions. Safe. Yay. You know, and you should hear. Sometimes we do that. We'll go, okay, no, 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 no. And we have gone through the whole thing, you know, 150 channels. Nope, nothing to watch today. Turn it off. You know, that's what you do. You just don't find something because, you know, you, you want to watch. Yeah, a weather channel. That's usually pretty safe. But um, sometimes, sometimes. But then sometimes commercials are horrible. So it's hard to keep from being unspotted from the world. You just have to be very, very careful, especially in this day and age. With all the information, Internet is another thing. I mean, you can catch yourself going, well, this is an interesting, um, you know, wonder what this article is about. Click it. Oh, dear. I didn't really want to know about that. And so, <laughs> in conclusion, our faith is in action in a lot of these things, in all of these things, you know, and it's the foundation of our faith. And... Um, we have, uh, there's a lot of key points that I would like to go through, but for the sake of time, I won't. But um, are we willing to go through those trials knowing that it produces patience in us? Or do we just want to try to get through the trial just to say we made it to the end? Or are you content with where God has you financially or spiritually? Um, are we seeking to make more and more money, or are we content just to live a simple life? Uh, do we look at sin and temptation correctly? So many things to look at here. Are we relying on the Holy Spirit and listening to his still small voice in our situations? That's important. He is your guide. It's like going off into the mountains and not listening to the mountain guide. I mean, it could get you into a lot of trouble. It can. Yeah. What if you get lost up there? I mean, this is serious business. And so we can get lost out there in the world. Listen to your guide. Listen to your guide. Um, Or do we have a dirty mirror? (laughs) You know, when we we don't really want to look, you know, we go to places in the Bible that we know aren't going to challenge 
our spiritual walk. You ever done that? Oh, I don't want it. I think I'll read uh, Psalms. Yeah, you know, Psalms are safe. I'll feel good when I read the Psalms. And you never read James. You never read something that will correct. See, we have to make sure um, we're, we're using it. And are we living our faith? So important. God, <clears throat> James uses the word perfect several times in this chapter. We have God's perfect work. We have God's perfect gift. And we also have God's perfect law. God's perfect work is his purpose to mature us. His perfect gift is his goodness to us in times of testing. And his perfect law is the word that strengthens and sustains us. Don't fear the molding. Remember the teacup? It was just an ugly clump of clay. And then God made it into just a beautiful, beautiful teacup. But that's what he wants to do for us. We shouldn't fear it. He is gentle. He is a very gentle master. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that you do desire to mold us and shape us into the women of uh, or daughters of yours, Lord, that will be like your son, Jesus. Lord, we do desire that, but we are weak. We are human. And sometimes we fear these things. And so, Father, we ask that you take that fear away, that you help us to to just give ourselves over to you for that molding, Lord, to count it all joy when you desire to mold and shape us. Lord, when we're heated up and the impurities begin to float to the top, Lord, that we see the good in that and that we don't resist it. And so we just ask that you help us to meditate on all these things, Lord. And as we break up into our groups, help us to even find more wonderful nuggets that you have for us in in this book. And so we just give you this time, Lord, ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I went a little long.